This time on Geek Pod Blue, Ben Affleck gives us the secret to making a marriage work. What, too soon? Plus, the top 10 secrets the banks wish you didn't know about the cornbread industry. Now that didn't work, I'll get this cold open thing down eventually. You just watch. Warning, station is now code blue. Hello and welcome to Geek Pod Blue. I'm your host, Hugh, from that other podcast that you also don't listen to, and I certainly did not expect to be opening the show like this today. I had something completely uh, different planned when the news broke this morning that Chris Cornell has passed away. Now, if you don't know who Chris Cornell is, he is the lead singer of Soundgarden, along with some other projects, uh, solo projects, Audio Slave, and one of the very, very best, up until last night, living singers on the face of this planet, uh, in my opinion. Now, this is very sad for me, just because uh, imagine it's the early 90s, and you've got a Hugh who doesn't really have the, the greatest taste in music, but he's working on it, and he's doing a, a, a summer program at a Skidmore University when a friend from the other side of the country hands him a mixtape, and this mixtape has a label that says good rock music on it. Now, I play this tape, and I find, among other things, there was a band called Mother Love Bone, which uh, led to, the, first of all, them becoming my all-time favorite band and leading to the lifelong love of Pearl Jam that I have. But there was also a few songs on there by a band called Soundgarden. And I will tell you, it certainly changed the way I thought rock and roll could be you know, back then, you know, rock was a lot of screaming, a lot of Motley Crue. Not that that stuff's bad. I love Motley Crue as well. But this was probably the first time since maybe Queen that I had heard a singer in a band that very well could be the very best in instrument in that band. Uh, amazing, amazing voice as evidenced by, you know, him going on to work on many other things, uh, working with other artists, uh, working, I believe he did a James Bond theme tune. Uh, just an incredible voice, and it's a very sad day. At this point, there's no word on what the cause is. He was 52 years old, and it could have been due to a lifelong issue with drugs. Uh, I certainly think that's sad, especially at 52, if you're still uh, kicking that dead horse. I mean, come on, with money and fame and the ability to get the support you need. It just kind of makes me sad, and I'm a little disappointed. I'm also concerned that given, you know, he did a tribute to his uh, late roommate, Andy Wood, who was the lead singer of Mother Love Bone, who also died of a drug overdose, that song being Say Hello to Heaven. Most people are familiar with that. I'm fairly certain we're now going to get um, Eddie Vedder and Pearl Jam doing a version of Say Hello to Heaven in Chris's name. And while I've always wanted to hear them do that song, I think a much better tribute to him would be you know, from that same Temple of the Dog album, but Reach Down uh, would certainly make a, a lot more sense, at least in my opinion, and certainly a much better song, and most people aren't even aware that there are songs on that album other than Hunger Strike and Say Hello to Heaven. So, you know, as a good friend of mine, Colin Collins, on Facebook always says, 
whenever somebody dies, uh, Chris Cornell of Earth rise in reference to the whole Black Lantern storyline from DC Comics. Certainly not going to be as good a Thursday as it could have been. Now, moving on, uh, I did want to talk about something today that, I don't know, could be controversial. But I wanted to talk about whether or not comic book companies and comic book movie companies, TV show, uh, let's just say the, the, the companies in charge of comic book media in general have any sort of responsibility when it comes to making sure young people aren't exposed to things that are overtly sexual in any way, shape, or form. Uh, now, I don't want to get into a debate about whether or not you know the U.S. is prudish when it comes to those kind of things. I understand the rest of the world is much more forward-thinking, and, and that's a fantastic thing, and I'm not saying that we wouldn't be better off in that case, but I'm just dealing with how things are in this country now. And we tend to be okay with kids seeing things like violence, but we're not okay with them seeing things like sex. Now, if you look at all of the other cartoons and things that uh, kids watch, and I'm going to take, for example, the things my five-year-old is watching right now, Peter Rabbit, Alvin and the Chipmunks, things like that, there, there isn't really any um, allusion or reference to anything adult in those kind of cartoons. Okay, and, and that's what she is, she's consuming right now as far as media. Now you flip the page and look at a comic book and open it up, you're going to see a slightly different story. Now things are not as bad as they were in the excesses of the 90s, but still we have lots of full-page spreads of you know, unrealistic proportions of, you know, cleavage and things like that. That still happens all the time. Now, I just want you to think about this for a second. Let's go back to when you were a kid. All right, take a moment, step into your Wayback Machine, your Time Machine, whatever you call it, when you think about those things that happened in the past when you were a kid. And imagine you're sitting there on Saturday morning, you're watching cartoons like you always do, when was that point you realized that one of Spider-Man's amazing friends didn't look quite like the other one? And that might have been when you decided which version you prefer. Uh, but certainly, I remember as a child, and this is embarrassing, uh, but having you know a crush on Firestar. And you know, at that age, I probably shouldn't even have been thinking about that kind of thing. Now, I'm not saying they're not allowed to show you know actual people and things like that. I'm not saying that they did anything wrong back then, or even now. But I do wonder, does comic book media play by different rules? When you have cartoons with anthropomorphic you know, animals and things like that, uh, we usually don't apply human body proportions to those. Uh, I do think that that's tougher when you're working with something like a comic book property, but I wonder if things should definitely be toned down, or at least the industry should, as, as a whole, agree to keep things at a certain level up until a certain point, or a certain rating on the book. Uh, kind of like, you know, over in uh, Britain, they're allowed to show whatever they want on TV after a certain time, but up until a certain point, things have to be remain, or have to remain family-friendly. Uh, I just, I wonder if, if maybe that is something that could be agreed upon. Now, interestingly enough, I've looked at some of the mature-rated books, or let's just say the ones that have a parental warning on them, and two really good examples that I can come up with are Marvel's Punisher and Jessica Jones. Now, first of all, both fantastic series. What I find interesting is that while they're labeled uh, parental advisory, this is really nothing uh, more than just for violence, maybe a few swear words. I don't think there's even been a single bit of 
cleavage in any issue of Jessica Jones. Uh, this is a, a mature book based only on the fact that it has a very strong, well-written, and complex storyline. Almost as if comic book companies feel that something that is for mature audiences just means it's written well, and boobies are for everybody else. Uh, now, maybe uh, that's how everybody feels. You know, I, I could be completely wrong on this, but being the father of three girls... I can tell you that I have had some uncomfortable moments uh, when dealing with comic book properties. Uh, I always grab my five-year-old a comic book whenever we do a convention or an event, and if it's not something like DC Superhero Girls, I have to flip through the comic and make sure that there's not anything objectionable there, uh, only because I, I always grab her like a 25-cent old issue. You know, I want to buy her stuff that you know maybe she wouldn't normally be exposed to. And occasionally, especially if we're talking about a 90s X-Men book, you know, Daddy, why is Psylocke fighting people com almost completely naked? I don't know, honey. That was just a bad choice. Now, let's kind of shift gears here and look at uh, the visual media properties. I think Marvel has done an excellent job in keeping things family-friendly in their movies. Uh, the next Netflix series, uh, of course, are intended for an older audience, and I think that you can't make that mistake as a parent to let your kid watch Jessica Jones on Netflix. Uh, if they do, you're definitely responsible. Because it's not like this is something... They're not selling Jessica Jones toys in the store. You're not being um, deluded into thinking that this is a kid-friendly property. We look at the movies, everything has been fairly G-rated. It's still complex enough for you know adults. And I really like the way they've handled uh, the character of Black Widow. Uh, you're taking an actress that many people uh, argue, arguably would say is one of the uh, most attractive women in Hollywood... And they've really not focused on that. Now, in the hands of another director, I could see her having a big kung fu fight in every film in her underwear. And you know exactly who I'm talking about. Uh, imagine if this was held by the same guy that handles the Resident Evil franchise, for instance. I think they've done a very tasteful job of allowing the character to shine um, and not letting that sexuality uh, overt the rest of the story. Uh, a bad example of this would be Batman v Superman. Now, we've discussed this uh, particular bathtub scene before, but I find that really bothersome because you can say, hey, this movie is PG-13, all you want. If your property has toys sold at Walmart, I don't care what the rating is on that film or that TV show, you have a responsibility to make sure that any child of any age that could potentially pick up that toy is not going to be exposed to something that they should not be. I mean, I think that's just common sense. You know, again, not trying to be a prude, but I remember watching Batman v Superman with my family when I watched it the second time, and luckily my five-year-old was in bed. But um, I can imagine her going, Daddy, why is Superman getting into that tub with that naked lady with his clothes on? And my answer would have been, because Zack Snyder is a fucking idiot. Uh, I just think it was completely distasteful, and if you wanted to show Clark and Lois uh, having a very fun-filled happy relationship. There are about 17,000 other ways to do that. Just my personal opinion. But it did bother me quite a bit, as has been uh, discussed much more in another place. Now, I'd like to hear what you guys think. You know, am I being taking it a little too far? Do Am I being a little too hard on them? Uh, or do you think that, you know, it is appropriate to say, hey, you know, a kid can walk into a comic book store by a comic book at just about any age. You know, if a five-year-old walks up with a book, unless it's Preacher or Saga, because I've seen some weird shit in Saga, and if you're not reading that, shame on you, you should be. Uh, if it's not something that is publicly known to be of an adult nature, 
they're probably not going to say, hey, maybe you shouldn't have this book. You know, they're going to sell it to them. So I, I, I think the comics publishers need to be aware that this could happen. And I, I'm not saying censor themselves, but be a little more thoughtful. You know, when you're going to do something, um, maybe, you know, take the road where you're not as overt about it. You know, if you want to throw something complex in there, make sure it's one of those things that the adults will get and will go over the kid's head. There's lots of examples of that. There's lots of properties that do that on a regular basis. And I think it's the smartest way to go. Moving on, uh, I want to talk about uh, big secrets and comic events because there was an article in io9 yesterday that kind of uh, got my rankles up or my ires up, ire up, as they say. Now, I'm not going to go into too much detail on this, but the, the gist of the article was that they were very upset with the big reveal at the end of Secret Empire 2. And we're going to talk about that in a bit. The, the problem was they were saying, listen... We've been being told for the past year this whole buildup with Steve Rogers being a Hydra agent. You know, it's not going to be a fake out. It's the real deal. You're going to have to deal with the fallout of that. He's still the same man, blah, 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 et cetera, et cetera. And they're saying that this reveal, well, hey, I guess we'll just say into it. Uh, it looks like there might be another version of Steve Rogers out there. You're going to have to read the book to find out exactly what I'm talking about. But it kind of flies in the face of everything that we've been told about this event and this storyline. And they basically came out and said that they feel that this is comic book companies lying to us and playing tricks on us. And, you know, I, mean, I can kind of see where you're coming from. But there's another side to that. If you look at any dramatic medium, you know, comics, books, plays, TV shows, movies, whatever, the big reveal, the fake out, the twist... That happens everywhere. That is one of the most used uh, plot points in all of media, it, regardless of the subject. We're not just talking action or comic book type stuff. Everything, you know, from romantic comedies all the way up to historical dramas, that kind of thing happens all the time. You know, it gives you that, you know, WTF factor at the end of, end of an episode of Game of Thrones or something like that. I feel that comic books kind of take it on the, the chin a lot more for using the same tools that other mediums use. And maybe that's because for some reason we hold comic book writers to a higher, loftier goal, uh, which is probably unrealistic. Now, me personally, I have no, I, no problem with this twist. It doesn't bother me. It's what I would expect from a comic book. And I certainly don't think that we can hold Marvel accountable for just writing an interesting story. And really, that's what it is. If you're going to complain about, oh, well, this reveal invalidates the, the whole, what happened before, yeah, I'm going to give you the same argument that uh, I give people when they talk about things like, oh, this change in Doctor Who invalidated this person's sacrifice. Or the people that say, oh, well, the first five years of Supernatural were great, or everything they've done since, you know, it's kind of, you know, it's tarnished that. Um, that's not literally possible. Okay, When a change happens in a story, a, nobody steps into a time machine, goes back in time, and tarnishes the previous story. Okay, That literally doesn't happen. If somebody who doesn't know, years from now, reads this entire build-up to uh, Secret Empire 2, even though it's already happened, they're not going to be reading that build-up with no idea what happened and go, man, this is a good story, but it kind of seems tarnished to me. That's just not how things work. Okay? Uh, I know that you, you want to make a big statement and you want to have an opinion because that's popular on the internet these days. I mean, look, look at who's talking to you. 
Come on. I, I definitely understand that. But yeah, that's not how things work. And the publishers are able to write the stories they think that people are going to want to read. And you know what? Right now, I want to see how Secret Empire plays out. I really do. Not bothered at all. Not even 1%. Uh, the next thing I want to talk about is uh, another comic book that came out this week, and that would be Batman number 23. Uh, completely blew me away. And if you're if you're not, if you haven't read it, I'm going to try not to really spoil too much. Oh, although this isn't really a a spoiler type issue. This was a, a single one-off issue, uh, humorously uh, titled "The Brave and the Mold," because it features a team up of Batman and Swamp Thing. And when I saw this, I was like, "Oh, this is going to be dumb." Interestingly enough, this ended up being one of the very best comic books I've read this year, and it was 100% uh, them taking the normal Batman dichotomy, kind of flipping it a little sideways, pairing him up with a character that is even quieter than he is, so Batman's actually the talkative one in this book, and drawing parallels between those two characters' lives. And it was both interesting, funny, sad, dramatic. I It kind of ran that entire gamut of emotions, and if you have not picked it up, um, I urge you, go pick up Batman number 23. Uh, it's not probably going to be one of the big uh, keystone issues of the year, but I certainly think it's going to be one of the comic books that I enjoyed the most in 2017. Now, we do have a couple other uh, news items we're going to kind of fire off in rapid-fire fashion uh, to a degree. Uh, King Kong is going to be turned into a musical. I'm not even sure I know what to say about that. There's going to be some uh, animatronics and things like that. It sounds like it's just going to be very, very weird. Uh, I'm a little... I don't know. I, I just I don't know how to even think that this makes sense because it doesn't um, beyond that we also have some other news coming out a uh, tv news the witcher is going to be coming to netflix now i don't know if you know what the witcher is but the witcher is a um i guess you call it a mature rated game from a company called cd project red now this is based on the books of a polish author uh, who interestingly enough makes zero money from these uh these video games or now this tv show because he had sold all of his rights a while back. And now it's one of the biggest things in the world. In video games, you know, The Witcher is a huge, huge deal. Now, I have not personally played the game. Uh, I've heard that it's really good. I kind of shy away from that because one of the uh, linchpins of this game apparently seems to be uh, a lot of sex, which is fine for some people, but I might be playing a game with a five-year-old hanging out in the living room. So that's just not anything that... I am ever going to probably pop into my PS4 just because of that. Not because I, I wouldn't enjoy it, or again, because I'm prudish, but because I have kids. Until kids are out of the house, no real mature-rated games are going to be played. Uh, I am excited to see what the TV show will do. Netflix has a great history of doing properties justice, and everything I have heard about this franchise, not just the video games, but the books as well, say this is one of the best fantasy series to come out in a very long time. And this could be something that rivals um, George R.R. R. Martin's Game of Thrones. We're just going to have to wait and see. Now, in interestingly enough, uh, a, a little segment I'm going to call for Jack, you know, because we're talking about just Jack from the Mothership show, uh, ran across something this week that I, I think he might like. Uh, there is going to be a Golden Girls-themed version of Clue coming out. No, this is not a joke or a gag. It's actually being made. It's going to be the game Clue, 
with all of the trappings converted over into Golden Girls trappings. Um, just seems like the kind of thing Jack might like. Now, I, while I certainly haven't played Clue in a long time, and I probably wouldn't opt for the Golden Girls theme one if I had the opportunity, I am guessing that every game is going to end with this reveal. It will be Blanche with the gardener and the other gardener. I'm just saying. Now, a call back to last week. Uh, we just discovered the first promotional art for the Hellboy reboot was just released. That's interesting. That, that kind of proves that this has been in the works for a while now. I wonder if while Guillermo del Toro and Ron Perlman were on Twitter saying, hey, we really want to make Hellboy 3, if the studio already knew that that wasn't going to happen. Well, they might have known it wasn't going to happen, but if they knew, hey, <laughs> look at these guys tweeting about this, and we're halfway into, you know, casting a reboot that doesn't involve them. For shame. You know, I just gotta say, that makes me sad. Now, we're getting close to the end of the show here. Uh, I did want to bring up an interesting interaction that came about due to last week. Uh, the very first show came out, and I was contacted online by somebody asking who our social media director was. Now, I'm not going to use that person's name because we did not specifically discuss that, and I don't have uh, their permission. But, you know, we were, we were connected actually through a friend, and he asked what our, who our social uh, media director was. And I kind of reached out, and I, you know, said, hey, well, here's what we have going on. We have uh, somebody who's taking care of that for us. And the response to me asking what your, your interest is was, your numbers are low for the quality of content you produce. Now, I'm fairly certain that this was in reference to all of GeekPod and not just GeekPod Blue, because, you know, you can't go to GeekPod Blue without hitting the, the full GeekPod page. So this is everything. And there certainly isn't um, much of a social media presence for GeekPod Blue yet, just because it just started, and I, I, I haven't done anything. So I, I don't think that that was any reference specifically just to GeekPod Blue. It was definitely GeekPod as a whole. He said, your numbers are low for the quality of content you produce. I gotta say, Laura, sounds like somebody else is looking for your job. Just saying. I don't know. I, I don't want to make any uh, accusations, but uh, it was kind of nice to have somebody say, hey, you guys are doing a good job. You need to be out there more. Well, that's pretty much going to wrap things up for today. Be sure to tune in next time when one of my cats is going to join us as a guest for a brand new segment we call Meow. Till then, tuck and roll, kids. GeekPod Blue is a GeekPod Network production. Executive producers Paul Showens and Hugh Allen. Concept created by Paul Showens and Hugh Allen. Intro is Opportunity by Jameis Breed. Closing is Bucket by Jameis Breed. Both licensed for use by Dennis Johnston. Want to help the show? Leave a five-star rating on iTunes. GeekPod can be reached at contribute at geekpod.com or send us a tweet at geekpod. That's G33KPOD. You can also find GeekPod on Facebook and Instagram. G33KPOD. That's G33KPOD.